Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. We're also streaming at WCEV1450.com. If you have not already done so, make sure you are following us, that you are connected to us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. Also, stop by RadioIslam.com. There you can check out uh, guest bios, pictures, and just stay up to date with what's going on with the Radio Islam family. Uh, also, make sure you are subscribed to the Radio Islam podcast and you'll find us on uh, Google Play, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, basically anywhere that you get your podcast. And you'll use that same username at Radio Islam USA at Radio Islam USA. All right, family, uh, we are, I guess, moving into a new direction. Uh, uh, some might say a new era, regardless of how you look at it. I think we all can say, uh, those of us who are here in Chicago, we can say that we have witnessed history being made. We've witnessed history being made uh, with the election of Lori Lightfoot. Chicago has its first African-American woman as a mayor. Uh, and so this is certainly a milestone. Uh, it's, uh, it's historic, uh, and it's something that maybe some folks did not think that they would see. Uh, but with all things, you know, as we move forward uh, in life, we will continue to see things that we have not seen, right? So, uh, but what it leaves us with after all of the congratulations, after all of the, uh, the celebrations, it leaves us with realizing that the problems or the challenges or opportunities, depending upon your mindset, depending on how you look at things, uh, these are things that are still in front of us. These are things that existed under the outgoing administration of Mayor Rahm Emanuel, uh, that existed under the administration of Mayor Richard Daly, uh, that existed, you know, prior to him and to him. You know, so these are th the, the, the issues remain in front of us. So the question for us is going to be, how will the new mayor, how will Mayor Lightfoot's administration um, deal with the issues that are in front of us? So we want to talk about some of those issues and certainly not all of them. But just to bring our attention back to uh, the the concerns that many voters, many residents of Chicago uh, have spoken about. And these are some of the same issues that uh, these concerns are mirrored across the country when we look at um, the larger urban centers. When we look at cities like uh, D.C., we look at uh, New York, we look at Baltimore, uh, we, we look at Detroit, where you have diverse populations, or I should say, uh, particularly where we have populations of uh, people of color uh, that are in the mix, uh, particularly as it relates to employment, as it relates to um, police relations with communities, these conversations, they become very, uh, they become very interesting. And you start to see a lot of similarities uh, be between the spaces. But as it relates to Chicago, some of those issues that we're looking at, we are looking at uh, first thing comes to mind for me is breaking 
the trend of punitive financing, right? So what do I mean by that? I mean, those people who are hardest hit, those who are least likely to be able to advocate for themselves. I'm talking about the city's history, uh, this history of, of balancing the budget on the backs of the poor. Uh, and it's very similar. I guess you could find a parallel between our federal government's uh, efforts, the way that they they put the uh, the the brunt of the the federal financing on the middle class, on the backs of the middle class. Uh, you look at the relief that corporations and the super rich that they get, uh, the the tax breaks that they get. It it it's certainly not reflected in the tax breaks. Watch, yeah, it's it's not reflected in the in the breaks that uh, the middle class. Uh, get or don't get right. It's it's a different world. So this history that exists in Chicago, we can look at it in terms of uh, the the parking tickets, right? Uh, we can look at it in terms of uh, the boot, the red light cameras. Uh, these are things that that come to mind immediately for me. They represent this strategy of of getting the most from those who have the least, right? And that's a really, I mean, that's a terrible way. Uh, to function, but that has been the way that we have functioned. And then let's also look at this too. Uh, when it comes to the parking tickets, right? Because you can lose your license, you can lose your driver's license over a parking ticket, over an unpaid parking ticket, right? So, um, if you look at the Illinois Secretary of State, uh, their website, there are a bunch of different ways that they tell you you can lose your privilege uh, to drive. Right. One of those is failure to appear. A failure to appear suspension is entered against the driver's license and or driving privileges of a driver who has been issued a traffic citation if the violation has remained unsatisfied. So if you had a ticket, you didn't pay it, um, the suspension, you know, that's what we're talking about. The suspension is entered at the request of a circuit clerk's office within Illinois or an equivalent agency from another state. The secretary of state's office must receive a final disposition from the court slash agency that requested the suspension and a reinstatement fee may be required in order to clear this type of suspension. Now I can speak personally to this type of suspension because I just went through this, just went through this. It was a ticket. Uh, I, I got a ticket. I think it was, um, so I think it was a speeding ticket. Not, and, and the funny thing is um, if there's not this, where you got to know your, your, your rules of the road. You got to know um, what the speeding uh, speed limit is in a residential area. But uh, without going through a, a whole long story, I wasn't it wasn't ex excessive speeding and I wasn't like doing 60 and a 30. Um, but nevertheless, got a ticket, forgot about the ticket. Uh, and actually, I tried to pay the ticket. I tried to go online to the circuit court, uh, to the clerk, to their website and pay for it. And the number wouldn't come up. So I tried this multiple times and, you know, it just didn't work each time. They tell me, well, you need to go down to the uh, actual courthouse and pay it. One thing led to another. I didn't get to it. So in the meantime, fi uh, fines are attached to it. And then longer story short, birthday comes up. My driver's license has expired. I got to go get it you know, get a new uh, picture and all that stuff. And I find out that there's a, 
a hold on me getting a new license. And it's about this ticket. And I think the ticket originally was a $25 ticket. Originally, a $25 ticket. Because, you know, it wasn't in Chicago. But what I ended up paying was about $192. That's right, $192. So, um, and I recognize that for some people, that, you know, and it, it didn't feel good. I'll just say that. It didn't feel good. But for some people, uh, a $192 ticket, a $200 ticket, it just, it might result in them just walking out, right? Not being able to get their license, not being able to pay. Uh, and these are the types of, uh, uh, of, of punitive um, remedies uh, that exist that put those who are unable to, you know, to come up with that type of money um, in a really bad position, right? A really bad position. The idea that if you're a job, if you're commuting for a job, right? If you're driving every day for a job and to have your license being held hostage because of a traffic ticket, right? We're not talking about a DUI. We're not talking about somebody who hasn't paid their child support and, you know, for, for years and years. We're not talking about you know, any other number of scenarios that uh, could exist. And you can actually go to the website and see. They got It's about nine or ten different uh, reasons that your license, your driver's license, can be uh, taken away, can be revoked. Um, but this is just one of them. But probably the most problematic in, in my estimation. Now, so that's one of the, the concerns that's going to be on the table for this to me, that, that should be on, a, uh, on the table for this new administration, right? That should be something that the city of Chicago is looking into. And, yeah, we know it's revenue. We know it's revenue, but there's something wrong with the spirit of that, right? You can't keep uh, balancing. You can't keep pulling uh, the, the, the majority of your money, whether it's majority or not. You can't keep pulling money from the people who have the least, right? There's something fundamentally wrong about that. Now, also, what is one of the other major issues, one of the other major, I think, concerns for a lot of folks, especially um, coming up on the, the, the January sentencing of former officer uh, Jason Van Dyke, um, is police accountability, police violence and accountability. Now, he was convicted of second-degree murder, right, of uh, uh, shooting uh, Laquan McDonald, 16 times. So he was a, a second degree murder and 16 counts of aggravated battery with the firearm. That was one for each bullet he fired. Now, the prosecutors asked that the judge sentence him to at least 18 years in prison. And as we all know, it, you know, he's basically going to be out, I think, in like four years. Right. Uh, so there's something something really wrong with that. And I think it's also interesting to to put this along with the perception that people have, especially those who are in uh, highly policed uh, areas, uh, especially those people who are in communities where that relationship of trust and respect is strained or non-existent, uh, the perception that they have of the police um, as represented by their leadership, talking about Superintendent uh, Eddie Johnson, um, is that they're picking and choosing 
when they want to be outraged, right? So following, uh, matter of fact, before even the sentencing, um, before the sentencing, uh, when it came out that there were seven officers who were involved in trying to uh, cover up, they were trying to cover up the fact that Van Dyke pulled up and basically just went to shooting. Uh, and they tried to say that Laquan, you know, raised the knife at him, swung at him aggressively, didn't follow commands, and ended up being shot uh, as, a, as an act of self-defense. Um, when this happened, Superintendent Johnson, he, by email, he said that those officers, according to an internal investigation, those officers should be fired, right? But that was all you heard about. I did not find... At least I didn't. Maybe, you know, somebody has, you know, posted on our, uh, I know it's old, but posted on our on our Facebook page or tweet at us, let us know. But I didn't find any video of him stepping up and, and speaking out on it, saying, making a public position on that. Now, I bring that up because when we talk about the public perception, especially from those who are, who feel over-policed, who, who, you know, because that's, that's the reality, you know, sirens, all the time, 24-7 in their in their neighborhoods, in their communities. When they look at the superintendent's response to something like the uh, the Jesse Smollett case, right, where this was basically just just a mass uh, display of of stupidity. Right. Guilty or not. It, it, it just looks like a mass display of stupidity on uh, Jesse Smollett's part. Right. And trying to orchestrate a, you know, basically a publicity stunt. Right. And it didn't work out for him. Uh, and, you know, in his career, he's going to have to deal with the the fallout from that. Uh, and of course, nobody likes the fact that this fella seems to be, you know, he's doubling down on, you know, on his on his initial statements uh, and still trying to play the victim. Nobody likes that. But still. The fact is, it was a nonviolent issue, right? Nobody actually was hurt in it. Um, And as such, the Cook County State's Attorney, uh, the office decided that, well, it was a nonviolent case, so we're going to go ahead and treat it like we would other nonviolent cases. And, uh, you know, he wound up with a forfeiture of bail, and he had to do community service. Now, bringing us back to the perception of folks who are in over-police communities and looking at the response to the Laquan McDonald um, trial and the verdict where the only response from Superintendent Johnson was, well, Chicago police, you know, we have to continue to do our jobs or or to make a statement that uh, at the initial, at the outset, that uh, these guys should be, should be fired, but never to publicly say anything. But when it came up to this nonviolent issue, yeah, involving a public uh, figure, when it came up to this issue, I found at least seven separate videos of Superintendent Johnson talking about the travesty of justice that was committed in this case. The travesty of justice, right? I mean, like I said, extreme stupidity on a part of Jesse Smollett, but nobody was hurt, right? Nobody was hurt. Um, he forfeited his bond. He had to do community service. He was treated like a white collar criminal, basically. That's what happened. But no response from him, no outrage from him with regard to 
a sworn police officer uh, with the extremely lenient sentence that was handed down to uh, former police officer uh, Van Dyke. Right, so there's something wrong with that, right? When you see your top cop constantly taking, uh, in, in stepping in front of the microphone, uh, going on news uh, programs to talk about a travesty of justice committed in this instance, but silent, basically silent when it comes to the um, one of his own officers who was convicted and then handed uh, just a really really lenient sentence there's nothing to be said so it just shows you that there's not a real commitment uh to justice that it's not really based in you know it's not based in any any real principle and of course i do understand that we're also looking at the fop who has a a huge impact on the way uh, a lot of chicago politicians uh respond to police uh police violence right but that's a concern. How is the new administration going to respond to that? And we do know that Mayor Lightfoot was formerly the, uh, she was over police accountability and actually did resign when she gave recommendations to, uh, to outgoing Mayor Rahm Emanuel. He did not take those recommendations and uh, she stepped away. And actually her candidacy, her candidacy was really, I think, uh, really built uh, in, in that moment. It came out of that. So that's going to be something I think that a lot of Chicago is going to be looking at is how you're going to respond to it, how you're going to repair that particular uh, relationship. Right. What are you going to do about that now? What's another issue? Oh, another issue is going to be education. Right. How is a light foot administration going to respond to uh, the fact that outgoing mayor Rahm Emanuel sold he sold a bill of goods, right? He sold a bill of goods to primarily African-American parents about the benefit of those 49 school closings, right? He said that it was going to result in a better quality of education, uh, higher achievement. Uh, you know, it was, it was a win-win for everybody, right? They poured some money into the incoming schools, uh, but for the most part, it was a really clumsy transition. Uh, and many of the teachers that came from closing schools to the, to the receiving schools, they did not feel prepared. Uh, they felt like, you know, there was not enough done. There wasn't enough time that was, uh, that was given to that. But the, uh, I think it was probably best, best stated. It was an article in the Washington Post uh, last year that really, that, that really showed that the data did not support, you know, that Chicago promised that closing those schools would help kids. But the report, you know, it, it says that it didn't. As a matter of fact, the Chicago Sun-Times, the editorial board, they also uh, were a part of that, um, that objection, right? They said that this is, a really, uh, this is a really bad idea, and doing it is going to... Um, it's really gonna it's gonna set us back. So when we think about something, first off, let's think about this from the social aspect, right? So the social fabric of communities uh, in Chicago have the schools have have always been a big part of that. So you got your schools, you got your houses of worship, you have your economic bases, uh, your businesses. Now, what's interesting is that when you're talking about 
communities of color, if you're talking about African-American communities, uh, those where the economic base was shifty or non-existent, uh, the public schools took on even more importance in those areas as far as social cohesion um, uh, is concerned. So removing those schools, I mean, it was a tremendous blow for those communities. Now, even even with uh, bringing in things like the Safe Passage Program, um, where you know they hired folks to be there before and after school to walk with uh, children who had to cross, who had to navigate gang changing gang territories uh, as a matter of safety. Uh, even with something like that, the response was often that there was not enough, uh, that that it didn't go long enough. Right. It didn't go long enough. And, you know, and, and really, once again, that's a problem. We think about uh, there's a lot of talk about gentrification, uh, getting rid of one, the existing group of folks and preparing communities for the for the incoming uh, group that is generally higher, you know, higher earning uh, upper levels of uh, the, the, the social um, social stratosphere, whatever. Um, when we think about that, that's what a lot of folks looked at in those particular communities. They looked at those schools being closed um, as a as a sign of that, and I think and, and rightfully so. But what's going to be done with those uh, with those schools? What will be done, right? Because we're still in a position where many of those schools continue to be vacant. Now, what's interesting is that Mayor, well, at the time, candidate uh, Lightfoot, she talked about uh, ways to utilize some of those schools, right? And she said that um, some of them could serve as uh, mini police academies, right? Saying that they could help with training needs. Now, I hope, I sincerely hope that that, that idea is not on the table uh, and not being considered because the last thing communities that have been uh, afflicted with uh, dysfunctional, that's probably the, the, the best way, but oppressive uh, in, this, in the worst case relationships with the uh, police department is to, is to, is to further embed uh, police presence in them. Right? That's, that's a, a real problem. And we think about combating the legacy of segregation in Chicago, right? That has played a big part in uh, keeping economic opportunities as well as educational opportunities out of reach and also maintaining a status quo of underperforming uh, underperforming schools uh, uh, not really bolstering an economic base uh, I mean you think about violence and and crime also being attached to poverty right these these things go hand in hand and then when you also consider that the the biggest, line item when it comes to uh, to these communities uh, as far as city resources are concerned. It's not found in education. It's not found in social services. It's found in in uh, dollars that are, are allocated for police presence. So we continue to see more police uh, being hired each year. And of course, that's, that's not to ignore the fact that we have uh, police officers that are, you know, retiring and detectives re- retiring. And we got an abysmal, abysmal homicide uh, clearance rate that is attached to 
well, there's some other issues that we're not going to get into right now on that. But, yeah, there's a need. There's certainly a need for certain uh, segments of the police department to be bolstered. But when we think about the fact that that being the biggest line item, the biggest expenditure in communities of color, that should be really concerning because what they're saying is that we're not really addressing the root causes of uh, violence. We're not addressing uh, the root causes of crime uh, in general and connecting that to a lack of an economic base or economic opportunities. So when it comes to how to really, really utilize um, these schools, I think those are spaces where we should be looking, how do we utilize them in ways that elevate the community, right? What about economic hubs where you have small businesses, uh, uh, startups that are able to replicate what was uh, done for tech over at Merchandise Mart some, what about, I don't want to say, I think it's like 10 years ago, but I mean, it's still moving on. Uh, What about a space like that where entrepreneurs in the community, those who already have stakes in the community, can utilize those uh, those buildings, utilize those vacant schools, uh, portions of it, right? As a as a shared uh, as a shared space, as an economic incubator, right? What about using those as um, training facilities, right? Where you can have uh, corporate uh, partnerships, you can have labor uh, labor unions. Uh, what about using those as off-site spaces where you can connect with uh, existing not-for-profit uh, organizations? You can connect with uh, the youth that are in those communities, folks who are looking to maybe move, transition from from one field to another. I mean, you know, I'm just kind of just kind of green light thinking here, but there are ways that uh, those spaces can be used to energize those communities. Right. And foster a greater sense of worth and belonging for the people who are already there and not simply follow this model of destroying a community or taking away one resource after another and making those spaces that are basically uh, ripe for um, for gentrification. And, you know, and migration, you know, it's a part of it's a part of life. People move people, you know, go from one space to the next. But what we see in this sort of starved, you know, kind of starved the people that are there to the point where they no longer, where being there is no longer uh, viable, right? It's no longer a viable option and they have to leave. And then you have a new group come in and then everything that could have uh, facilitated a, you know, a, a healthy life for those folks is now brought in, right? So I think that's something that I, I hope that this uh, a, a, a Lightfoot administration is going to uh, address. And I, once again, I hope she does not, does not go with that idea of making those spaces many police academies. That is the, that would be an absolute, that would be a travesty, right? That would be a travesty. It would do nothing to help to foster a sense of community uh, it would not energize those communities. It would make it would it would do further. Uh, it would just do further damage and disintegrate um, what is likely a, a, a fragile, a fragile balance or a fragile uh, sense of uh, sense of being um, that that already exists. So do something that's going to help the people. 
uh, and and reach out to the people. Uh, do something that's gonna uh, that's gonna really show a commitment to to all of Chicago and not just to the Chicago that feels like it can make a buck off of off off of a depressed area. So she's got her work cut out for her definitely. Um, there are a lot of issues. We didn't even really get into the whole jobs issue, but one thing I did find which is really interesting is that Chicago I uh, was looking at this list of 50, it's like the top 51 or most expensive cities in uh, to live in. And Chicago is in the upper half. It's like number 31. And it showed that like to have a comfortable, uh, you know, comfortable income to live here comfortably. It's like 76,000, a little bit over $76,000 a year. Right. Um <clears throat> And if you look at the number of people who are actually making $76,000 a year, the median household income in right now in Chicago is about $50,000, right? It's about $50,000. That's the median income. So to me, that says that there, there, there's a lot of folks who are not living comfortably or to achieve uh, any level of comfort means that folks are probably working multiple jobs. Um, and, you know, and maybe we'll have somebody on to talk about how the labor force is, is, is broken up, uh, how it, how it uh, works out in Chicago, because, um, because we, got, we have areas of extreme poverty and we have areas of extreme wealth. And the challenge is, is to address the problems that come with uh, poverty, and also to look at those areas that have uh, that have that extreme wealth to see. Well, you know what? How are you going to? How can we replicate that? And not ne- not necessarily extreme wealth, but just to replicate the the safety uh, and the security and the opportunity that we associate with those uh, with those areas uh, that we don't we don't find you know in others. So that's part of I think what a a mayor is going to have to do for Chicago. Uh, this this new incoming uh, mayor, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, is how to be a mayor for all of Chicago. So certainly, are we are hopeful uh, that that she and her administration are going to be up to that uh, challenge. And that's all we have on that right now. But I'm sure we we've got plenty of time uh, that we'll be looking at how things progress, and we'll be. We'll continue to comment and see see how things move along. All right, we're going to take a short break. And when we return, we'll have the jobs report. So don't go anywhere. This is Radio Islam. We're on WCEV 1458. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. 
Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, and we stream at WCEV1450.com. Now, for those of you who have not already done so, make sure that you are connected to us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at, at Radio Islam USA. All right, it is time for our weekly jobs report. Each week, we touch base with our friends over at the Chicago Urban League, specifically employment specialist extraordinaire Kimberly S. Pearson. She gives us the rundown on what jobs are available, what hiring events are going on, what resources are available to folks in the Chicagoland area looking for that uh, new job, a better job, or that first job. So we're happy to have her on the line with us. How are you doing, Kim? I'm well. How are you, Great. Good to talk to you this week. Yeah, likewise, likewise. So uh, I know you stay busy. So so what's the deal uh, with the Chicago Urban League and all the, the, the great stuff that you've got going on? Oh, we have a, a wonderful um, list of, of things happening and then opportunities for me to share. So I'm going to go ahead and get right to it. Um, first, I want to talk about our new partnership with Larry Children Hospital. Um, they're looking to do quite a bit of hiring in various departments. I had a, a wonderful conversation with their um, human resources uh, director. Uh, she's looking forward to partnership in terms of increasing their workforce and having us uh, help them be a part of that. So I'm really excited. And there are so many positions. Um, if you are interested, you can reach out to me. Um, you can also go online and you can visit your careers page. So it's careers.lurychildrens, with an S, dot org. And that will take you to their career page and you'll see all of the opportunities. If you apply for something, just let me know. Um, it always helps to send me your resume so that I can reach out to the employer and they will in turn um, work to at least pull the application and get an interview scheduled for you. Um, so that's an awesome opportunity, and we're excited to share. Um, this is for anyone, of course, who's interested in working in the healthcare field or just in a hospital setting, because as I said, some of the positions are, um, you know, things that's across the board. Administrative assistance skills are necessary in a lot of those roles. Anyone that's looking for administrative assistance as well as any type of customer service um, we can and, and will benefit from working opportunities with Lori Children's Hospital. And again, that link is careers with the next dot Lori 
childrenswithanf.org. Next up, I want to talk more about our relationship with Sterling Bay. Um, they are looking for an assistant property manager. I have a full, uh, detailed description, but basically someone with a strong customer service skills, experience in property management, uh, particularly as it relates to commercial real estate. Um, if you have experience in residential, that's good also, but you definitely need some previous industry experience and knowledge. And if you're interested in applying, you would simply send me your cover letter and resume. Um, I am uh, the, the, the direct uh, referral source, so there's not really anywhere online you can apply, but you surely can visit their website and learn more about their upcoming projects and the work that they're doing um, here in the Chicagoland area, which is actually pretty big right now. And so that's with Sterling Bay again. Uh, it's for an assistant property manager, someone with a strong re real estate background and property management background that's interested in moving into a, a new role. And then with one of our favorite partners, Brookfield Zoo, they have several openings. So they're looking for a lead custodian. Uh, they're looking for administrative assistants, HVAC tech, and a, a union carpenter. So that's totally across the board, um, you know, in terms of what they're looking for and different career opportunities. You can always visit their website, which is cvs.org for Chicago Zoological Society.org. Go to their site and apply. Definitely mention the Chicago Urban League as the referral source if, in fact, you do decide to go on their site and apply for something. Um, <clears throat> they have other positions posted, but we always get their newest and freshest leads, so we like to share them early so that individuals can go online and apply before those positions go away. And then I'm excited. We have so many wonderful things happening here at the league. Uh, here, everything here that's, you know, just really to empower our community to employment, to lucrative long-term employment. Uh, but we also are very big here on working with empowering our youth. And so in light of that, we have our first ever youth, youth summit happening this Friday at Malcolm X. You may have heard it on the radio a few different uh, places. It's called the I Am Chicago um, Youth Summit 2019. It's at Malcolm X at 9 o'clock in the morning. You can go to the website and register for it. It's free. It's for ages 13 to 24, so it's pretty broad. It's got something for everybody, um, and at every age group that's going to be there, it's sure to offer things that will be beneficial. Again, it's not too late to register, and you can do so. You can visit our website and get directly to that page, um, and ours is chicagourbanleague.org. <clears throat> and again, that's this coming Friday at Malcolm X College, 1900 West Jackson Boulevard, over on the west side. Um, from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. And then for anyone over 18 that's looking for employment, uh, Census 2020, they're looking to do some major hiring. Um, across the country, they're looking to hire 500,000 people alone. And here in Chicago, of course, you know, we're going to take up a big piece of that pie since we are one of the largest cities in the country. And they're going to be on site on, uh, on 416 so that is a Tuesday evening. They'll be here at 5.30 p.m. That's going to be a wonderful informational session on how to go ahead, go online, go to apply to work expenses. Flexible work hours. The pay for uh, County Chicago residents 
pretty good. Um, and this project is going to last several months, as everyone knows. So this is an opportunity to make extra money or an opportunity to just have employment that you know is it's going to be secured employment at least through the end of the census period. And to just learn more about what your work could look like, what your position could look like. There's uh, everything from field reps people who are going to go door to door and make calls, all the way up to front office managers and everything you can think of in between, they'll be hiring for. And so we think it's a great opportunity for the community and anyone looking to come out again that's going to be on Tuesday the 16th at 5.30 p.m. here at the Urban League. Um, and if you're looking to RSVP, you can give us a call to do so. I'll give all of our information at the end uh, because we have another event with a newer employer rent -a center They're looking for sales managers, customer service reps, uh, in-store reps. They're looking for quite a few different things. I've seen uh, job descriptions for all of them. Of course, anyone with previous management and or retail and or customer service experience would definitely benefit from this opportunity. They'll be here on the 24th. That's also, that's a Wednesday, actually, and it'll be at 10 o'clock in the morning. When you come, someone from the company is going to talk a little bit about the organization, what some of their hiring needs look like. They have a few different stores where they're looking to hire up. And then you can do the application, which is here on site. You can do it in our uh, computer lab. It's online. You'll do the application with a basic needs assessment, and then you can be interviewed all in one day. Um, so it's a great opportunity to come out and meet an employer, but also to get the application completed. So if you have any questions, if you want to RSVP for anything, 773-624-8828 would be the number you would want to call. I'm sorry, that's 773-624-8800. That's our general um, receptionist line. She takes the RSVPs, and she's aware of all of these opportunities, and she can share more information with you. If you prefer to send an email, you can do so at WFD event with the S at the Chicago Urban League.org. And you can also RSVP for these things, or if you have more questions about any of the opportunities I spoke with, we can help you out with those as well. All right. That is great. That is great. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. Uh, that census, uh, I think that's going to be a really big, uh, that's going to be a really big deal. So um, I hope so, and yeah. they hope so, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, we really need to get people hired. People hear about it. Unfortunately, it's one of those opportunities where um, you meet somebody, they're working for the census or making pretty good money for that time, and you're like, hey, how do I get in? How do I get involved? And so this is one of those times where we are hoping that as many people as possible hear about this opportunity um, so that they can come out and participate and definitely share the information with a friend or a family member that may also be listening. Uh, as always, we thank you so much, Kim. And we are looking forward to touching base again next week and, and getting more folks plugged in uh, with jobs. Yes, absolutely. All that good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care, Kim. Yeah. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, Radio Islam family, that's our jobs report for the week. And we remind you, you may not be looking, but you probably know someone who is. So please do share. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be back in a moment. This is Radio Islam, and we're on WCEV 1450 AM. Excuse me. 
I know you have a nine o'clock, so I'll keep this short. I'm the business suit in the back of your closet. You wore me nearly every day before your office went, quote, casual. I used to be the CEO of your closet. Now I'm just that one intern no one ever talks to. I always thought you'd circle back with me. Get granular. Keep me in the pipeline. But nada. Nothing. Don't you remember the McKittrick presentation? You spilled coffee on me, and I still looked amazing during the breakout talkback Q&A. So, I think it's time for me to move on. I've got a great resume, and I absolutely crush it in interviews, okay? Let's make this a clean break. Shift the paradigm. The only thing I ask is that you think outside the box here and do this. Take me to Goodwill, where I can really make a difference. Your donations to Goodwill create new jobs, training programs, and education assistance for people in your community. To find your nearest donation center, go to goodwill.org. Donate stuff. Create jobs. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You might know me on 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedinamerica.org hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Sweet strawberry icing. You're in goodwill, and just past that vintage denim jacket you spot. Miniature donut earrings. You lean in. Ah, that's the scent of shopping success. Because at goodwill, every item you buy funds local job training and more. So bring home those donut earrings and bring home so much good to your community. Goodwill. Bring good home. Brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq el and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. We're also streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, if you are just tuning in, if you're just catching us, we're in the tail end of the program. But not to worry. You can go to wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. We're at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And you'll find us on TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, uh, just to name a few of the more popular platforms but wherever you get yours look for us at radio islam usa and also be sure to follow us on social media you'll find us on facebook twitter and instagram at radio islam usa so as we are coming up on the end of the program uh, i think this is a great time to take a moment to talk about some of the really uh, meaningful well it's all meaningful but this is some really meaningful work that uh, Sound Vision has been able to uh, implement uh, and, to, um, and to and to get out. So I'm talking about the Save Uyghur Benefit Dinner, and I'm glad to have with me to, to talk about it um, assistant producer, the impressive one, Ibrahim Bey, who also has been uh, instrumental in the work around this campaign. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum assalam alaikum. So with this... Um, with this benefit dinner that's coming up, uh, first off, we have had on some folks uh, in the past, uh, and we've also, you and I have also talked about uh, the Uyghur. Um, but for those who may be hearing about him for the first time right now, what's the, just kind of paint a picture of, of the condition 
uh, of the Uyghur right now, and and then we can kind of get into some of the specifics as far as the dinner is concerned. Sure, the Uyghur people are predominantly Muslim. They live in a region of Central Asia historically. They've always been there. Um, that region was partly annexed by China, which began calling it its new colony and so on. Um, they've had a an existence under the Chinese government, which hasn't been all bad all the time, but in recent years there's been a crackdown under the pretext of security and, and terrorism, like we hear same pattern all over the world, uh, minority groups, Muslims being persecuted. Um, the conditions right now are extremely horrifying. There's concentration camps, over one million. It has been confirmed, over one million Uyghur have been rounded up and sent into these concentration camps where they are supposedly re-educated, according to the way the, gov the Chinese government puts it. Um, there's torture, there's brainwashing, etc. Children are being taken to orphanages. There's a, really a surveillance and police state that the uh, Uyghur people are living under and, and in the, as far as the Chinese government right now. So one of the things that I think is really important is for people to be able to look and, and hold something in their hand. And right now, the Save um, Uyghur Benefit Dinner, the flyer that we have, is really kind of a... I don't even want to say an informational track, but it's a it's a two-paged um, flyer that has some some information that most that most folks would be would be really horrified uh, to read. Now, I just want to and get your take off of a, a few of these. First off, is that food cannot uh, they cannot eat halal. Halal is banned in uh, Uyghur areas, and it says one must explain why or she is not eating pork. Can you imagine this? It says Uyghur own shops must sell alcohol and pork. And there are about 12 different um, areas uh, of conditions that are that are listed here. Yeah. So you, so you bring up a good point. It's not just the concentration camps, uh, even though that in and of itself is horrifying for it to be happening in the 21st century anywhere on Earth. Mm -hmm. um, but even those people who aren't in the camps have to live, like I said, under the surveillance state. But... Um, a, a under a a system which is severely limiting and trying to basically wipe out their Islamic identity. Right. Um, so even naming children like Muhammad or Fatima or something like that is traditionally Muslim is has been outlawed in many cases. Um, like you said, people being forced to eat food that they're not supposed to eat religiously. Um, mosques being demolished. I mean, and then the list goes on. It's just. It's very, it's very a horrible situation, and people who speak out are suffering the repercussions either themselves or people who even get out of the country and speak out. Their family members are feeling the repercussions of their uh, speaking out against this injustice by being taken to the camps and prisons and stuff. Or in some cases, killed. Right. Um, yeah, there was one. Uh, we spoke to one brother a few months ago, and he talked about his his brother being murdered in in public you know nothing happened you know but because of his activism because of the fact that he was speaking out um his family was targeted so and, and these are things i think is difficult for people here in the united states because we have these protections on on free speech we have these protections on on religion even even with uh, uh islam being demonized by some we still have that right 
to practice our religion. And this is something that is being denied uh, to the Uyghur people. Yeah, very much so. Us living here, I mean, of course, there's people in our country who want to make our lives difficult and want to get rid of us and stuff like that. But there's certain uh, obstacles to their completing that that mission of theirs, which is in the system that we live in, it guarantees a, ty a type of religious freedom, religious expression. Um, and in and, and China right now, mm -hmm. that appears to be not the case, or at least selective as far as the government can choose. Okay, maybe these people over here can have a little bit of freedom, but these people in this region, no, we're not going to give them any, any, any rights. Yeah. And when we think about, uh, I think many times people think of third world countries when uh, when they're talking about rape as an act of, of war. Um, but we're seeing here there are, um, there are testimonies of, of rape that took place. There's, there's one uh, sister, uh, Rokia Perhat. Uh, she's the only survivor of a six-member family. She was arrested at 16 years old, and when she refused to say Communist Party Akbar instead of Allahu Akbar, she was, or God is greater, for those of you who don't you know, understand the, term, um, the, the language, uh, she was tortured and repeatedly raped. Uh, until she became pregnant and miscarried twice. Now, I could go, matter of fact, I will go on because I want you to understand the, the gravity of the situation. Uh, Sister Rakia has more than 100 scars on her face and body due to torture. Her family was accused of practicing and teaching religion illegally, so three of her brothers and father were executed. Executed. She was forced to witness the execution of two of her brothers. Her mother died due to the trauma. And what we should probably take away from another horrific example of the brutality and uh, uh, suppression of the freedom of expression of religion is that this is one case, certainly not the only, right? That there's got to be, this is, this is probably emblematic of a system of, uh, you know, just violent reprisal against uh, Muslim women. But to think that they would use these types of uh, uh, methods, I mean, it's, it, it, you know, it speaks volumes as to why we why we have to talk about it, why we why we need to be uh, present, and why we need to support uh, events like this uh, Save Uyghur Benefit Dinner on the thirteenth. Yeah, the benefit dinner on the thirteenth. Actually, right before the benefit dinner this weekend, there's a couple of big rallies going on. One in D.C. and one in L.A. Uh, the one in D.C. is at uh, one p.m. The one in L.A. is at two p.m. Um, so check that out. You can go to saveuyghur.com, S-A-V, I'm sorry, dot org, S-A-V-E-U-I-G-H-U-R. That's what's happening immediately. And our goal is to um, push Congress to pass a couple of resolutions that at least acknowledge that this is going on. And once we acknowledge it, then we can figure out, you know, what step can we take to uh, bring about a change. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and sorry, mm, and go ahead. the 13th, as far as the fundraising dinner here in Chicago on uh, April 13th. We, one of our guest speakers, the keynote speaker actually, is uh, Sister Merigol. She is, the, I believe, the only survivor of the concentration camps currently in the United States. And she is going to really give us a first-hand account of the horrific, not only the things that she's seen, but the things that she's been through herself. Um, in those in those detainment camps. Mm. So I'm gonna, uh, as I say, we were closing out, but and I want to thank you, uh, Brother Ibrahim, for for sharing that uh, the information. Um, I want to reiterate: go to saveweger.org. Uh, there you can get information. You can find out ways that you can uh, plug in and lend your support towards this um, 
towards this really gravely important issue. And uh, last but not least, make sure that you come out on Saturday, April 13th, 6 p.m. It's at Lezette Banquets in uh, Streamwood, Illinois. And you can go to soundvision.com to get your tickets, uh, to see the program lineup. But most importantly, uh, we want to make sure that you're aware so that you can make other folks aware. So please show up. Don't just come by yourself, but bring someone with you because the more people that we have who are aware, the more people we have that can uh, lend their voices uh, to this fight. So uh, thank you once again, bro. My pleasure. All right, Radio Islam family. Uh, our time has come to an end. We thank you for joining us. As always, we thank our engineers over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. I'm your host and producer, Tariq el Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. Uh, we remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guest are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, we leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.